If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Welcome to Fabulous Friday. More importantly, according to my clock, it has just gone 3 p.m. on Friday. Not a bad part of the week, is it? Uh, I'm broadcasting from our Sydney studio, and it's uh, good to be alive, I reckon, as we head into Christmas. What is it? 17 sleeps until the jolly old bloke with the red suit comes down the chimney and uh that's reason enough to smile i think as we get closer to that part of the year and of course it is gift giving season as well which has got to be good for the soul now that is a terrific segue on purpose talking about receiving gifts i've been doing some extensive digging overnight scratching away googling and looking at a few other um, websites that not aren't usually looked at. And uh, the best gift this December anywhere in the world I have found, and it is a ticket to the COP28 Climate Summit in Dubai. How many delegates do you think have turned up this year? How many do you reckon have turned up this year? Bearing in mind... Two summits ago, there were between 20 and 30,000 people, 20 and 30,000, two summits ago. You will be gobsmacked when I tell you the answer to that question. And you'll need to sit down when I tell you what some of these developing countries have done as far as put their staff on planes, government public servants on planes heading to Dubai. Amazing. There are some developing countries who've sent more people, more delegates to Dubai than what the United States have sent in total. I just get this overwhelming sense, as I discovered last night from my digging, that this is one big, fat, green junket, and I'll get to that shortly. My special guest today is the former senior US military commander who wrote about how woke the US forces have become and was hounded out of the job. Former Lieutenant General Matthew Lohmeyer will join us today to discuss wokeism inside the US military. He'll also talk about the long-term damage from COVID vaccine mandates. He'll have a little bit to say about this week's very, very rowdy Republican presidential candidates debate. Didn't it get nasty? And uh, money for Ukraine or funding for the American borders? What should get priority? The former Lieutenant General shortly on the program. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been hearing from a military expert in the Middle Eastern warfare realm and an intelligence officer, Shane Healy. Well, his analysis, I think, has been brilliant. And I've had various emails and callers to the program saying exactly that. He will speak to us again in this edition of the program. That is next hour on the show. I'll also play for you what Donald Trump said about Joe Biden's Green New Deal, and he did not hold back either. And former UK Home Secretary Suella Braberman has issued a call to arms from the floor of the House this week, warning her own party, the government, to make decisions now to stop illegal boats. You'll hear what she had to say, and I've got to say, gee, she looked prime ministerial when she said it. 
From Down Under, we've got one of the longest-serving federal MPs in the federal parliament on today, Russell Broadbent, who, as you may know, has gone from the Liberal Party ranks to crossbenchers in 2023. Lots to talk about. We've got to talk about the survey showing that Australians have less faith in the renewable Nirvana being sold by the federal government. The detainee issue, which is burying, burying Labor at the moment. And Pauline Hanson's big announcement today, a recruitment from within her own ranks. No, Mark Latham is not coming back. And uh, I'm also expecting a few of you to call in our growing number of loyal listeners and take advantage of our talkback lines. There are so many issues to jump onto. It doesn't matter where you are, what part of the corner of the globe. You can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Let's get underway. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting live. We are on the Global News Talk Network, TNT Radio. Live. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, here we go. Uh, we often talk about following the money trail when you're trying to work out why so many nations, so many leaders become evangelical fanatics over global boiling. Words like renewables and wind farms and turbines and net zero, they are music to green ears. But when you start mentioning fossil fuels and coal and CO2, they start to shake and shiver. Uh, these types live in their very lucrative world, in their own economy virtually, employing endless staff to cash in on climate investment and government subsidies. Climate change is not just a major revenue earner for scientists around the world, uh, but the climate change community is massive, and we're seeing that very much so at COP28. They feed off each other, you see. They create business in their own climate bubble. And when the annual COP climate jamboree comes around, everyone gets a ticket. Everyone does it in style. And the attendees tend to explode in numbers year after year. In Dubai right now, there are not 10,000 delegates grazing in first-class restaurants. There are not 40,000 delegates catching their chauffeur-driven EV limos. Not even 60,000 delegates returning to their six-star hotels each night. Oh, no. There are now... 80,000 delegates in Dubai, 80,000. There are only 195 countries in the world. The UAE organisers upped the numbers this year. They decided to bring in an extra 9,000 for the business blue zone, all right? They make up the world's biggest bankers, those wily consultants and lobbyists, and the blue zone has 20 additional housekeepers beyond what they get in their hotels. Lap of luxury. For instance, Citibank has brought with them 26 staff. No doubt traveling at the pointy end of the aeroplane. Uh, the renewable energy companies, well, there's no end to their numbers. They get unlimited tickets. Uh, Masdar, which is a renewable energy giant, they have 70 staff in Dubai, 70. Uh, some countries just crave the decadence, especially when COP is being held in this modern city like Dubai with its futuristic glass towers and decadence. Take Brazil, for instance, who I might add 
uh, is a developing country, and so they benefit from all that money that we put into the damage fund, okay? So they benefit anyway. But they have got right into COP28. They have sent a brigade to Dubai, not 300, not 1,000, not even 2,000 people. Brazil has sent 3,000 delegates to Dubai, 3,000. The US has only got 800. <laughs> but even that number, when you think about it, 800, that's what is that? That's 20 busloads full to go from point A to B. The PR companies are there, Edelman PR, 53 spin doctors. The UAE as a country has got 100 spin doctors, PR firms. Um, and what astounds me even more is that over these 13 days, they can't go the distance. They need a day off. They've just got a day off for R&R and, R, and they're back doing their thing to save the planet today. So they were never bored. Um, there are reports coming out of Dubai that most people went to the world's largest water park. That sounds like fun. Uh, then there are those Glamour shopping precincts to choose from. One of the shopping centres has an indoor ski resort. Uh, then there are beaches. You look it up. Go to Google Earth. Beaches uh, for the trim, taut and terrific. And then the bars are across the road. Maybe an additional bout of Christmas shopping at the fabulous world-famous bazaars at night time. There are desert tours to take, as many have, and there are record tall buildings to visit for selfies. 80,000 green evangelists in the one city, but surely, and I should point this out, I'm sure they are wondering why their master plan to save the planet isn't working, because the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is rising. This is despite all the successful campaigns to demonise coal and shut down coal-fired power stations. This is despite the trillions of dollars in climate funding being allocated. This is despite hundreds of billions of dollars being thrown into renewable subsidies to prop up these inefficient and expensive sources of wind and solar power. This is despite the fear campaigns to force people to buy EVs. So... The great Dubai solution was, well, it's not working. So what we've got to do is triple the amount of renewables. So renewables haven't saved the planet, but they think that if they just do more of what's not working, it might actually work. Wow. Isn't that smart? And so tens of thousands of these delegates, tens of thousands of these various climate change stakeholders will leave Dubai on the 13th of December with lucrative contacts and lucrative contracts and deals done to churn out bigger steel turbines and larger solar farms because the narrative stays the same. Fossil fuels are evil and renewables will save the world. I still suspect that they are terribly wrong, but the gravy chain in this unique green buddle, uh, bubble is just so enticing. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally. 
prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here, home, because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets. This Christmas, thousands more people across the UK will be facing homelessness. We urgently need your donation. Search Crisis at Christmas or scan the QR code to give £29.73 now. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, are we about to see some of that COVID tyranny lifted in the U.S. military? Well, Senator Eric Schmidt, Republican for Missouri, is pressing the U.S. Army for answers on behalf of former service members who were discharged for refusing to take a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, a week ago, Senator Schmidt filed the End COVID Tyranny Act. This bill aims to protect Americans from further COVID tyranny and overreach from the executive branch of the federal government, including the notorious COVID vaccine mandates for servicemen and women. Now, many military officers enforce this disgraceful vaccine mandate policy along with endorsing woke Marxist ideology in the military more generally. But some fought back and stood for principle. One of them joins me right now. Matthew Lohmeyer is a best-selling author and public speaker. He's a former commander at Space Force and was fired for highlighting wokeness following publishing and speaking about his book, which is titled Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. The then Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer was relieved of his command and subjected to an Inspector General investigation launched by the Pentagon. He is a 2006 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. Matt joins us live from Idaho, USA. Matt Lohmeyer, welcome to TNT Radio. Chris, I'm happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the program. Senator Eric Schmidt's fight for justice against the vaccine mandates is really important. It runs parallel, of course, uh, to your battle against Marxist ideology in the military, right? 
It runs parallel to it. And every single time I see these senators, congressmen uh, willing to champion this cause, uh, it's not just me that's grateful to see his efforts. In fact, um, I'm in touch weekly with groups uh, on various apps um, of veterans and active duty service members who uh, have for the better part of the last year and a half been reaching out, sharing information with uh, various U.S. congressmen. And every time they're willing to set aside some other priority that they have to try and tackle issues that are going to directly benefit both our active duty service members and our veterans, we're extremely grateful. There were, as you might be aware, uh, over 8,000 of our U.S. Uh, military service members that were purged under the uh, COVID shot mandate over the, during the past year under the Biden administration. And the fact that uh, the last National Defense Authorization Act eliminated the mandate didn't yet go far enough in uh, restoring some of the damages that we have done to our service members, either because they lost their pensions and are now out of the service or because of deaths and injuries that were suffered as a result of that mandate. And so folks like uh, Senator Schmidt that you've mentioned and others, I'm not going to name them, but I've got several in my mind. Uh, some months they're very helpful, others they're busy with other priorities, but they've, they, they continue to bring these issues to the fore is my point. And unless we continue to draw attention to the problems that some of our service members are currently still suffering, that the Veterans Affairs Department is trying to work through with them or not trying to work through, uh, the more they, they, they continue to bring these issues to the forefront, the more likelihood we're going to have of getting the Defense Department to respond uh, at some point positively in trying to uh, uh, fix the wrongs that uh, have been inflicted upon them. Gee, there are some some fixing to do, Matthew. Some a lot of fixing. Like of the eight thousand, how many one died, two were injured, or three lost their pension and were simply out of the forces altogether? I don't know the current number, uh, and that's um, something that uh, some of these that I talk to each week are much much closer to. Uh, what, what's been most dis, uh, disturbing to me is the fact that the Defense Department, in fact, has tried to cover those numbers. Um, there's a DMED is what it's called. It's similar to VAERS, although there's, a, there's one difference. Uh, the, the VAERS adverse effects reporting system uh, that the military does not use does not require, it's not a compulsory reporting system, whereas the DMED system in the Defense Department is, in fact, compulsory, and they're required to input any adverse uh, uh effects from the COVID shot into that system. And what we'd seen is that our active duty, active duty service members had leaked some of that information to Senator Ron Johnson and other congressmen, hoping for action from the U.S. Uh, uh, representatives. And that information was uh, quickly altered by the Defense Department to cover up a trail of injury and death. Uh, and uh, there are now whistle whistleblowers uh, who are using their social media platforms to come forward. Ted Macy is one of them, just recently uh, uh, shared a video confirming uh, from his seat as an active duty uh, military officer that as, as a medical professional, he is um, certain that the Defense Department has been covering their tracks. And so there is, there's a lot of traction that we're still getting in this fight. And God bless the whistleblower, because if it wasn't for those who are trying to seek for accountability, uh, these things are headlines today and they're swept aside by new headlines tomorrow and there's never any accountability. And that's how it usually works. So there is another arm of government here that don't 
that, that, that don't like the truth getting out into the public sphere. They don't like the idea that you can point to injuries and deaths accrued from the vaccine and they will cover it up to, to make sure that you don't have an argument. Yeah, they will cover it up. I think it was Tucker Carlson I just heard a couple of days ago say, it's easy to apologize for small offenses. This is true at an individual level. It's true at the state level. It's very difficult to apologize and to admit wrongdoing when it comes to grievous offenses. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I rear-ended you and I bent your bumper. And it's an entirely different thing to say, hey, we're really sorry we made bad decisions, mis had misplaced priorities. And now there are thousands of service members that have been purged. Uh, there are at least hundreds, if not more, who have died from uh, the illegal uh, shot mandate. And there are many thousands who have been injured. How do you admit to that, even if you're willing to bring yourself to a point of admitting that, in fact, you had been wrong? The uh, On the opposite end of that spectrum, of course, is that there are those who still adamantly very much believe that they haven't been doing anything wrong and that it's been a necessity, that it's been good for uh, the uh, health and readiness of the force, which I think is asinine. Uh, but but there is clearly a um, a divide. It's social, it's political, it's ideological. And there are those who are true believers who will pursue this agenda despite the evidence. Uh, and they will continue. And, and unfortunately, some of those very people are in the seat, the chief seats of power. You know, the secretary of defense. I don't know if he's just, um, and forgive me, a, a fool or if he's just a true believing ideologue. But um, despite all of the evidence, despite pushback, despite uh, falling readiness numbers, despite uh, a, a decrease in lethality that the Heritage Foundation here reported on that, rated the United States military as weak, for example, despite poor recruiting numbers, despite poor retention, he's pursuing the same policy aims and he's not willing to apologize for anything that he's done. Despite a botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, there's a, there's a series uh, of, of missteps that are apparent to the outside observer, but on the inside, this thing continues to steamroll the troops. And it's ideologically driven, it's policy driven from the Biden administration, and frankly, from even outside of uh, the Biden administration. For uh, There's a push from a global elite, that's not conspiracy theory, they're very open about their aims at the moment, uh, who are shaping US policy, and who shape, frankly, what uh, the decisions are that are being made by senior defense officials. I won't labour this point, but I could imagine from the people that you've had conversations with, there are some very angry former servicemen and women out there. We, we have very angry and disappointed and frustrated servicemen and women. We've got very disappointed and angry and frustrated parents, aunts and uncles and grandparents. Many of these are veterans. Many of them proudly served their country. And for many years, we have... Uh, propped up our recruiting base because veterans are happy to recommend service to their family members, to their friends. And in fact, I just went to lunch yesterday with a friend of mine who's a military veteran, served in the Air Force, and he said that he happily, this is disappointing to me, it's disappointing to me to report this, but that he's happily dissuaded six of his family members from joining the service. Uh, you don't hear that from people that love their, historically, you don't hear that from people that have served. You don't hear that from people that love their country. But it's precisely because they love their country and are disappointed at the direction that they are seeing things take. They're disappointed in policy decisions and they're disappointed in the optics that uh, they're discouraging others from joining the service. 
Okay, I've got to take a break now, Matthew. We'll do that for a news break. Matthew Lohmeyer is my special guest. We'll talk about the book that he wrote, which led to him making statements about wokeism within the military and ended up getting him fired. We'll talk to Matthew about that and more right after this break on TNT Radio. Edward, getting back to the news. TNT Radio News. What the f***? Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. InfoWars host Alex Jones has suggested the deep state will try assassinating Donald Trump to stop him from becoming president again. The White House has taken aim at Republicans for prioritising America's national security over Washington's support for Ukraine. The US military's grounded its entire fleet of Osprey aircraft following last week's fatal crash off the coast of Japan. And Ukraine's declared a power emergency as winter sets in and demand for heating soars. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. Okay, let's continue our conversation with Matthew Lohmeyer. Matthew, what upset the military most? It was your book and the comments you made about your book. It's called Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. What upset the Pentagon the most? These were apparently crimes of free speech, were they? I think you're right. I think it uh, upset senior leaders. Let me say this uh, before answering your question directly about my alleged crimes. Uh, I, I never was found guilty of any wrongdoing uh, as a result of a, a Pentagon Inspector General's um, investigation that was opened that in, that was um, opened after I had been fired from my command. But it was alleged that I had publicly criticized my chain of command, and it was alleged uh, that I had acted in a politically partisan manner in publishing the book while in an official capacity, and neither of those things are, are true. Um, it's uh, the right of every service member to continue to exercise their free speech and also to publish articles and books. Uh, I've included caveats in the beginning of the book, in the middle of the book, at the end of the book, that those uh, views that I've expressed in there, and it's an academic bo book, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not an angry screed. It's an academically rich uh, work about the Marxist roots of the current social justice activist movement, including critical race theory, which is wrecking the military. And um, I, I include in there the caveat that, look, these views are my own. They don't represent the views of the service. I wrote it in my free time uh, on my own dime, and I self-published it. Uh, and every service member has the uh, right to do that, first off. And I believed I had the obligation to do something about what I was seeing. And before ever writing a book, I exercised, uh, that's not the right word, I used my chain of command, as you'd expect any service member to do. I filed a formal written inspector general's complaint. I was talking to my uh, immediate supervisor, who was a colonel, about my concerns about the proliferation of partisan politics at the base and anti-American narratives. And I was on the phone with a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who ultimately was my boss in the Space Force, who I'd worked very closely with in the past. And every one of them was agreeing with me 
that we have an, a problem. We have a problem with the overt politicization of the military workplace and a, and about playing the race identity politics game. And yet, uh, everyone is afraid to do things about that because we created a climate for ourselves that was uh, that 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 caused them to believe that if they were to speak up against the momentum, the political momentum, they'd be labeled racist or something like that, which is nonsense. You were doing them a favor, Matthew Lohmeyer. You were pointing out the trouble and strife and the wokeism that exists in the military, and they should have uh, actually listened to what you were saying instead of trying to get you fired. I think I was. In fact, I had a consideration to make, and it was um, first whether or not to publish an actual book about this, and I thought uh, I would. I thought I'd do them a favor, and um, I also uh, thought I'd warn them about where this politicization of the military workplace leads, and I'd do it in writing and let the country talk about it, let uh, U.S. congressmen talk about it. I've received, uh, I'd say, letters, they're emails, from uh, probably a dozen different countries, some of them former Soviet bloc countries now. They've reached out to expressing gratitude that someone in the United States is speaking up about the direction the country and the United States military are headed because they say in their in their letters to me, we've experienced this exact same thing in our countries in the past. It's so easy for us to see what's happening there. It's so difficult for you to see it when you're entrenched in it, when you live it day to day. And I think that's true. So I think I've done them a favor. Whether or not anything has changed is an entirely different question. But there are certainly more people, more and more people aware of the trends. And that's important to me. Okay, let's talk about something completely different. I want to talk about the fourth Republican Party presidential candidates debate. And we didn't have Donald Trump yet again. I don't even know why they bother anymore. There was Ron DeSantis. We had Nikki Haley. There was Chris Christie and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. What were your impressions of this latest debate? Because as far as I'm concerned, it got rather nasty, didn't it? Got It got nasty, understandably. Uh, here's my impressions, you know, take them or leave them. Here's my impressions. Uh, I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I very much like Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, part of that's personal bias perhaps because, uh, I've spoken with him on stage, shared, uh, you know, platform with him before and had personal conversation with him. And I think he's an upstanding human being. I knew that going into the race and frankly had uh, hope that he'd, he'd throw his name in the ring before he ever did. And because he did. I, I've wanted to support him from the get-go. Now, that said, I speak at conservative conferences around the country, and I run into predominantly uh, President Trump supporters around the country, understandably. I very much like President Trump and many of the supporters. What I've been disappointed with, um, you didn't even ask about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, there are literally tens of millions of people who I think are very closed off to considering any alternative candidate. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them would be angry with me for even considering the fact that someone other than President Trump should be uh, in the seat. I like President Trump. I'd be happy if he were the president again. I like Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't particularly like what I've heard sometimes out of Nikki Haley. Uh, and I'm not sure about Ron DeSantis. I really very much liked him, observing him as a governor ever since he threw his uh, hat, name in the hat to run for president, I've been uh, not as impressed for some reason. I suppose that's more, uh, that would require a longer conversation. But um, I very much personally like uh, Ramaswamy's views on things. Uh, he also was a bit abrasive in the debate last night, um, but I think he's the most articulate 
uh, and, and brightest of those running. And I don't really uh, like the idea that just because he's younger or lacks political experience, uh, he's somehow unsuited to um, step into the complex uh, seat as president of the United States. So, uh, you know, do I think he's going to win? That's an entirely different question. I think uh, Trump is clearly a strong front runner, and I'm very supportive of that. So uh, th that's a lot of saying. That's a lot of speaking for maybe not saying a lot of uh, much of anything at all, but that's kind of my... Yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy is one of these people who should not be underestimated because he can achieve a lot at this stage. Let's talk about what's going on in Congress at the moment. There seems to be some kind of trade-off between the Democrats and the Republicans over supplying more money for Ukraine or securing the American border. President Biden said this week he's willing to make significant compromises on border policy as he seeks a breakthrough on funding for Ukraine. Is protecting the US border worth compromising on against providing more money to a futile war in Ukraine? At this point, I'm so numb to the words I hear coming out of this administration, the Biden administration, or frankly, any politician at this point, Democrat or Republican, because I'm looking at a, at a Democrat-led administration and I'm looking at the crisis and it truly is, it's an emergency. It's a crisis that's unfolding at the United States border. Millions upon millions of people from 160 countries around the globe are pouring across our borders. Uh, if, if they want to say that they want to compromise, they want to say they want to fix problems, they want to say they have the better platform, at this point, I think that you literally have uh, tens of millions of American people who aren't interested in what they have to say. We want to see a, a significant implementation of change uh, at the border. Uh, and, and let me get more specific to your question, though, about compromise. Uh, I don't personally hold the view that we should be spending more of our dollars on a foreign conflict in which we can't clearly define the, um, and I'm spe speaking specifically of Ukraine, we can't specifically uh, define the ways in which it further advances our vital strategic interests. Uh, read the national uh, security strategy, the national defense strategy of the United States. We outline there what we claim are our, our strategic objectives and priorities. Uh, this seems to me to be a proxy war. I very much liked uh, Vivek's views on this, as we just talked about him. I've liked uh, Tucker Carlson's interviews of Colonel Douglas McGregor. He's uh, he's demonized by uh, many, and I've listened carefully to what he said for a year, and I think I largely agree with his take. So if you're interested on in my views on Ukraine, I like his views. And there's also another paper I'd point people to. It's an easy 30-minute read. It was written in 2014, long before this conflict took off, by John Mearsheimer. He's a Democrat, by the way but I like his international relations worldview. And the name of the paper is called uh, Why the Ukraine Crisis is the West's Fault. Uh, now, I'm, I think that's an overly simplified, titillating uh, title for an essay, but he outlines some of the history, decades-long history of NATO expansion and U.S. policy in regards to Russia and Ukraine. And he does a phenomenal job of it. And I think it's really difficult to have a conversation with anyone about what we should or shouldn't be doing over there and how we should be spending our resources unless people begin to understand some of the complex uh, context that teed up this conflict in the first place. Yeah, you've got to go back to all the broken promises, not just from NATO, but also from the United States decades ago. But let's move on to something a little bit more worldly. Let's get out of the United States. Recent riots in Dublin 
we saw cars and buses set on fire. There were four police officers who were injured, one in a critical condition in hospital as I speak. Isn't this latest violence in Ireland symptomatic of what seems to be happening in much of the West? What, what has gone badly wrong in the West, do you think? Great question. A lot of what we talked about today had to do with trends in the United States, United States policy, United States military. But the United States phenomena that we've discussed isn't happening in isolation of a much broader uh phenomenon across Western civilization. And I think uh, I'm going to use a few terms that come to mind when I hear your question, like nationalist patriotism and populism and people against a global elite and and corrupt and wicked governments that don't seem to have the people's interests uh, at the forefront of their policymaking. I think that what you're seeing in Western civilization is immediately a response of uh, poor immigration policies for a very long time, the myth of uh, multiculturalism, uh, a breakdown of or or a disregard of governments for the national uh, culture uh, of, of some of these countries. And I think people, frankly, are quite fed up. They're fed up with injustice. Uh, they really believe West in the Western world, largely speaking, whether they're in the United States or not, that the purpose of the governments are to protect their interests so that they can pursue happiness, so that they can pursue what they think is freedom or liberty or their religious faith. You know, all of those things they feel are a bit under assault in some degree or another. And so what you're seeing there, uh, unfortunately, is uh, not going to be isolated to there, but you're going to continue to see ripple of that throughout the Western uh, countries, I believe. I couldn't agree more. Matthew Lomai, you've been very, very generous with your time. I implore our listeners and viewers to look at your book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chris. Let's take a break now on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Uh-oh. Someone on the staff of Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas screwed up big time. She's running for mayor of Houston. And, well, before we get to the details, here's how she treats her staff or has treated them in the past when they screw up. I need to uh, ensure my um, schedule. And, uh, you know, if, if Boo-Boo did it, shit-ass did it, fuck-face did it, then nobody knows a goddamn thing in my office. Okay, now watch this. Houston, I've spent my entire career fighting for you. From fighting to keep our kids safe from guns when I was on city council, to my days in Congress fighting to protect women's reproductive freedom, and for funding for our police, schools, and small businesses. Now I'm running to be your mayor, because if we're going to bring down crime, fix our streets, and bring good paying jobs here, then Houston needs a champion who's ready to fight for what's right. And I am. Did you see that at the end? It said, Vote on December 7th. Let's put that up. Vote on December 7th. Problem is, the vote is on December 9th. Let me say it again. Uh-oh. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. 
it's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Fascinating interview from a fellow who I think should have been treated far better than what he was by the U.S. military. Um, the truth sometimes hurts, doesn't it? Um, this is out of Washington, and you would have heard this in our last few news bulletins, but I wanted to flesh out the story and give you a, some uh, detail. Hunter Biden was indicted on nine tax charges in California on Thursday as a special counsel investigation into the business dealings of President Joe Biden's son intensifies against the backdrop of the looming 2024 election. AP reports the new charges, three felonies and six misdemeanors, are in addition to federal firearms charges in Delaware, alleging Hunter Biden broke laws against drug users having guns in 2018. They come after the implosion of a plea deal over the summer that would have spared him jail time. We've covered that in detail, putting the case on track to a possible trial as his father campaigns for re-election. Not good timing for the Bidens. Hunter Biden spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle, as we know, rather than paying his tax bills, according to special counsel David Weiss. In a statement, the charges are centred on at least $1.4 million in taxes that Hunter Biden owed during between 2016 and 2019, a period where he was acknowledged struggling with addiction. The back taxes have since been paid. So that's the latest on Hunter Biden. Now, in light of all the talk about global boiling this month, <clears throat> excuse me, as a result of the current COP28, talks in Dubai. The presidential front runner, Donald Trump, just couldn't help himself. So while the fourth GOP presidential candidates debate was taking place in Alabama, Trump got together soon after with his mate at Fox News, Sean Hannity, for another town hall event in Iowa. And he initiated the issue of resources, America's riches, the pathway to America being economically sound once again. And I love that fact that Donald Trump is obsessed by that. And he spoke about the US Special Envoy on climate, John Kerry, as well. He made some very salient points. Here's part of what he said. We have such incredible wealth under our feet that that takes care of everything. It will take care of, you know, if you go to Saudi Arabia, and they bought many Boeings, many planes. And I said to them, do you use financing for that? They didn't even know what the word meant. They have so much money. They have a fund, $21 trillion. It's all for oil. And we have more oil and gas than they do. Our country can be rich again. John Kerry has to be stopped. He's destroying our country. This guy. I mean, think of it. He goes all over the world in a private jet, by the way. He goes all over the world talking to these people about getting rid of coal plants, they all laugh at him. They, you know, treat him with respect. He's gone. They say, what an idiot. What a jerk. <laughs> and then they go ahead and they build their coal plants. He goes to China about, uh, let's say, uh, the atmosphere. He talks about global warming. He talks about all, you know, they don't call it global warming so much. Now they call it climate change because it wasn't working. Global warming wasn't working when it was cooling. 
So now they call it climate change. That takes care of everything. I am an environmentalist, but we're going to destroy our country with this Green New Deal stuff that doesn't you know, work. Just to finish, we have so much wealth and power under our feet. No other country has it. China doesn't have it. Why are we going to electric? They do have what you need to do the batteries, but they don't have what you need to do the gasoline. We have, and it's what, it's what people want to drive right now. And there's a little story about it, but you're going to see it a lot, I guarantee you. They have so many electric vehicles, nobody wants to buy them. Spot on. Nobody wants to buy them in the UK, in the United States, and in Australia. Yes, electric vehicles are growing in sales. But in terms of what the predictions were, there's more supply than there is demand right around the world. It's not working, just like net zero is not working. And so I like the fact that the possible next president of the United States is obsessed with the strength of wealth and the economy in the United States. Because if you have a strong country, you can get the country out of its problems. You can solve problems like border control. You can solve problems like homelessness. You've got to be strong in terms of your economy first. That gets you the key to solve your bigger social problems. But if you're not strong and you're spending trillions of dollars on climate change that doesn't reduce CO2, as I mentioned at the start of the program, doesn't reduce CO2, well, you are weakening your country and have no chance to solve your social problems. Interesting. I keep hearing Trump. I'm waiting for him to stumble. I'm waiting for him to say something that is so out of left field, totally unsuitable for a possible president, but it hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. He keeps saying things that you'd hope that the next president of the United States would say and would be obsessed by. And that's what he is obsessed by, the economy. All right, if you want to um, have something to say about any of what Matthew raised a little earlier, whether it's uh, related to wokeism in the US military, I'm sure you've got your own stories to tell about that, or anything in reference to those riots in Ireland and what they intend to do now. It looks like as if censorship is one of their ways out. That is, we are going to keep tabs on those who don't like what we do. If you don't agree with government, we're coming after you. That's the modern approach by governments around the world to any kind of unrest. Talk about authoritarian. Okay, if you want to uh, have something to say, jump on our talkback lines. You get VIP treatment that way. And there's no ceiling on opinion, as I always say. If you want to dial in from the United States or Canada, the number is 1-888-201-6425. If you'd like to do so from the UK, very good morning to you in London, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, have your say, 1-800-670-310. While we're talking about the UK, uh, Boris Johnson's long-awaited appearance at the COVID-19 inquiry has been taken off the front page to a certain degree by a range of stories that all seem to be heading one way, that is, on the issue of immigration. It is a major issue in the UK because of the number of people who are arriving in the country still, still illegally. Senior Tory MPs have called 
Robert Jenrick's resignation as Immigration Minister deeply worrying and very concerning. Jenrick quit on Wednesday after PM Rishi Sunak failed to appease his right-wingers with his emergency Rwanda legislation. So he pulled the plug, not Rishi Sunak, although some people would like to see that, uh, but his Immigration Minister, Robert Jenrick. But that was then eclipsed by the former Home Secretary, Suella Braberman, who addressed the House, telling her colleagues, telling the government, that their time to act on illegal immigration is now. Now, here she is trying not to slam her leader, but the impact of what she had to say did it anyway. I want to talk about the crisis on which I spent more time working than any other. Mass, uncontrolled, illegal immigration. We are all here familiar with the problem. Tens of thousands of mostly young men, many with values and social mores at odds with our own, pouring into our country day after day, month after month, year after year. Many come from safe countries. Many are not refugees, but are economic migrants. All have paid thousands of pounds to criminal gangs to break into Britain. All have come from a safe country, France, who, let's face it, should be doing so much more to stop them. This is putting unsustainable pressure on our public finances and our public services. It's straining community cohesion, jeopardising national security and harming public safety. The British people all understand this, Madam Deputy Speaker. The question is, does the government? And will it now finally act to stop it? The Prime Minister rightly committed to doing whatever it takes to stop the boats. And he should be commended for dedicating more time and toil than any of his predecessors to this endeavour. And unlike the Leader of the Opposition, who would rather bury his head in the sand, he has actually advanced a plan. We made some progress during my tenure as Home Secretary. The overall crossings have fallen by 30%. The number of illegal Albanian arrivals down by 90%. And we were starting to close down asylum hotels. But, Madam Deputy Speaker, crossings are down is not the same as stopping the boats. She's entirely correct. It is not the same as stopping the boats, and everyone in Britain wants the government to stop the boats. And Rishi Sunak doesn't seem to have the wherewithal, the commitment, the drive, the intelligence to work out exactly what to do. Suella Braverman, on the other hand, who's been outed as Home Secretary, always knew what to do because the system was being rorted by economic refugees people who just wanted to come to the UK because, after all, if they don't work, they get they get paid. There's welfare in the UK. And this is when the system gets rorted, when we shouldn't be opening the gates to anyone. We shouldn't be opening the gates unless they are legitimate refugees fleeing from third world or developing countries because of persecution or prosecution. Anyway, Suella Braverman sounded like the Prime Minister, not 
the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. I want to go to the open line right now. Let's have a chat with Richard. Hi there, Richard. How are you? Very good. Very well. Thank you for calling. I'm glad you played um, the former Home Secretary of the UK Parliament because we're on that precipice now. We um, corrected that after a disastrous on the Rudd-Gillard regime and then um, having the uh, crossbench controlling with the medivacs out of uh, Papua New Guinea, if you remember, the rort to get back into the country. Notwithstanding, there are genuine needs for people who seek medic immediate medical attention. Um, and I think her words should be telling for us in this sense. I want to talk about two other things. One is about the High Court decision and Pearl Harbour day-to-day, -day, 82 years ago, and its significance for the 7th of October and for the Ukraine and where the West finds itself today. I'll just quickly promote those. Tell me if I'm running out of time. Um, I find the linkages to us just um, so ringing. The only reason we don't have what the British have as a full-scale economic crisis on their, on their um, national security and economic security and social cohesion, as she, she pointed out, like there and in the United States, is because we happen to be an island. But that will yeah. change in a heartbeat, mm. in an absolute heartbeat. And it's already changing now because the High Court has already said certain things. And, I'm, and I critis I'll, I'll criticise the High Court to, to two degrees. One, that they're taking too long for the judgment because they knew the profound impact it would have on the parliament and the country. Yep. And I think that was just a disgraceful um, stance by the Chief Justice to, to leave it that long, notwithstanding the government's um, total failure of, on, oh. on the response for this. Talk um, about being unready, totally unready. Oh, exactly. But exactly. like seriously, but, but just go on to that next issue, if I may, Richard. I understand what you're saying. Australia is on a similar precipice to the UK. You're not wrong, and I don't think and, the government knows how to handle it. Well, you're right, and part of the reason is that look, this is linked to the High Court decision. It's linked to the boats, and it's linked to what's happening that economic refugees and eco and economic refugees coming from particular countries, which have no link to the values and and the compatibility of our democracy. That doesn't mean to say we don't have people from different faiths or cultural backgrounds, but I remember the late Barry Cohen saying, not all cultural practices are good and not all cultures are equal. Yeah. And he made that as, a, as a, an Australian Jewish background who suffered discrimination. He was born in Griffith. So I think clearly we need to have a look at those bells. And I'd say to, say to the government of the day, and I say to the opposition, if the government doesn't want to listen, Two things Australia needs, three things Australia needs to do, just on the immigration part, and then I want to move to Pearl Harbour. Um, you need fingerprinting and photographing of all non-citizens leaving and entering Australia. That way you could skim up and pick up um, state actors, terrorists, criminals, yep. wanted from overseas, and you can you can run those checks overseas. So okay, Richard, just hold that friends. thought. Don't go anywhere. I'm 15 seconds away from our news bulletin. I have to go to our news. Stay right there. I want to hear what you have to say. And we'll do so straight after that news bulletin. I'll get back to Richard on the talkback lines right here on TNT Radio.